Hello everyone. The ED podcasters among you will uh, recognise this voice. It's Luke Nichols here. Uh, and the last time I was on this podcast, I was the editor of ED, uh, and now I'm the content director. Um, so yes, congratulations to me. Um, now, I wanted to quickly hijack this show's introduction to let you know about a particular event we have coming up, uh, which I think our podcast listeners will be very interested in. The Sustainability Leaders Forum is our flagship conference taking place at the Business Design Centre in London on the 24th and 25th of January 2018. Uh, And that conference is all about delivering transformational change and creating brand value. So if you enjoy this podcast and you're interested in some of the people and businesses we feature in the green room, then I thoroughly recommend paying the Sustainability Leaders Forum a visit. And as a special bonus for you as a podcast listener, uh, we can even offer you a discounted entry to the two-day conference. So to find out more, email us at podcast at fav-house.com. That's podcast at fav-house.com with your details. Anyway, that's a shameless plug out of the way. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Green Room. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I'm ED Senior Reporter Matt Mace, and today I'm taking you back to the green room to gain insight and inspiration from some of the companies in the vanguard of sustainability movement. Now, we've already heard from the likes of BT, Carillion, Landsec, and IHG, and now we've been welcomed by arguably the sustainability champion of the business world. I'm in London at Unilever House to talk to, well, I mean, the name of the house kind of gives the game away there. But yes, I'm, I'm here at Unilever, the kind of historic building on the outside. And I've had a little tour around. It's a very kind of modern look on the inside as well. And I've been welcomed by uh, the group's director of manufacturing sustainability, Tony Dunnage. Um, so Tony, thank you so much for, for hosting me today. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, great to have you here. Brilliant. And I feel for our listeners that Unilever is a company that needs um, no introduction. So in a rather lazy fashion, I'm essentially not going to introduce uh, the company because I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about everything that you've done. And well, probably not everything because there's a, there's a lot in regards to sustainability. Um, and I don't think that people who listen to this podcast and people who don't know Unilever are, I don't think those two things can be mutually exclusive in that sense. Just to dive right into this conversation, Tony, I was hoping you could give a bit of insight to our listeners about your role at Unilever uh, in regards to how long you've been here and and what your kind of, I I don't want to use the word, the phrase day-to-day operations because I imagine it's different every day, but but what your remit is in that sense. Okay, thanks, Mac. Yeah. So actually I've been in Unilever for slightly more than 30 years now. Oh, wow, yeah. Quite a long time. (laughs) And uh, I'm currently, as you say, uh, heading sustainability for our manufacturing, and that's 300 factories in more than 260 locations in around 70 countries in the world. So quite a a footprint in terms of factories there. Mm, Definitely. And um, see, I 
I feel when I interact with Unilever, certainly when we cover it on site, um, we, we do a lot of the kind of consumer-facing initiatives. The, the sustainable living products aspect of it is obviously a huge driver for growth for the company. But I feel like Unilever is one of those companies where behind the scenes in these kind of manufacturing parts is, is where a lot of the... Um, a lot of the action takes place. I know two big for transformations I've seen, you know, UK manufacturing sites are now fully powered by um, renewable electricity. Um, and I think you're, you're pretty close or you have achieved that kind of zero waste landfill status. And one of the things I've identified as a real, I think, separator from Unilever to the perhaps other companies is, is that alternate routes for non-hazardous waste streams in its operations. I mean, those right there are two huge um, achievements but is there any kind of particular initiatives milestones or landmarks that that Unilever have hit or projects you've been a part of that are particularly you're particularly proud of I suppose yeah so um, if we take the zero landfill initiative so I had a a very great privilege to uh, be involved in that project from the start to the completion so we have we did complete that project in all of our factories Hmm. um, uh, at the end of 2014, and uh, yeah, of course, you know when you are when you are involved in a project that touches uh, each of your factories, so many people, so many mm-hmm. cultures, uh, huge challenges. But you know, we've great um, we've great people working on resolving those challenges. Uh, that was you know, really a, a privilege, as I say, to work on that. And I think even when we had completed that initiative to then, we we held uh, an external event where we invited academia, um, business business analysts actually, uh, many people and we wanted to share how we achieved it because then the amplification effect uh, that we get from that just makes it feel a whole lot more worthwhile. So that was uh, certainly one of the highlights. Mm. I think uh, our carbon positive uh, ambition, so you know, going beyond carbon neutral uh, is really important and you know, when uh, we, we released that initiative uh, around the time of COP21, mm. so the timing couldn't have been better actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, uh, incredibly ambitious targets uh, which uh, probably sometimes makes us feel a little uncomfortable uh, because we don't know how to get all of the way there but our progress is great. And what we can be pleased about is, you know, the business community have really mm. picked up on the, the Paris Agreement and, you know, setting their own, uh, also stretching goals. And this is where partnerships and collaboration really comes into play. So, uh, you know, going forward, uh, we'll expand, extend those partnerships, continue uh, with our people uh, to do the right thing. And, uh, yeah, pr- progress is great on that. And uh, we... Hopefully, as we go forward, we can give you updates on uh, how we're doing on that. Yeah, no, uh, certainly looking forward to, to seeing the progress to, to date on that aspect. And you mentioned those those kind of uncomfortable targets. And how, how does how does you and your team um, approach them? I, I always hear that big, lofty targets are really important for businesses and almost targets you don't know how you're going to hit them. Yeah. So perhaps using the, the zero waste one as an example, how, how did you and your team... Go, go about that was it like almost like a daily reminder of like this is our progress this is what we still got left to do um, how, how did you internally go about creating a, a drive towards it yeah it's, it's, it's fun to reflect back on it actually um, when we set when we launched our, the Unilever sustainable living plan back in 2010 we set targets uh, for manufacturing and actually other elements of the business but for manufacturing we set targets of 40% reduction okay. for, for waste, for water and for, um, for CO2. But actually 
um, after a short while, we increased the waste target to the zero landfill mm. uh, by the end of 2015. And it's interesting, you know, you asked the question about what change did that make? I think the day after we said that same for zero, and the reason we said that is because we had some bright spots, some locations that had achieved that status. Okay. And then when you ask yourself a question, so if we've achieved that somewhere, why not push that target to everywhere, everywhere else? And um, so, and then there's a very different mindset of how do I, if you ask yourself a question, how can I achieve a 40% reduction to how can I achieve zero mm. in terms of the end goal or 100% uh, reduction if you take it from a, a reduction perspective. And the questions you begin to ask change overnight. And I think uh, that was you know, really quite fascinating. And what, what you begin to see is that is the network uh, really develop because people say, so how did those sites achieve zero? Uh, how, how can we copy? And, when, when, uh, and, and it's also why I spoke about the external event. It's also why we wanted to have the external event because mm. if Unilever has achieved this, then why can't others achieve it? And again, you know, I talk about the, the greater good. If, if, if we do this alone, that's great. Uh, but if we can uh, help others and uh, you know, inspire others to do this, then you know, surely the world is winning in a much bigger way. And uh, uh, you know, again, that's what we think leadership is about. Definitely. Um, I, was, I was doing some research on, on Unilever's website and, and a lot of it, the, the, one of the words that keep popping up is, is that purpose. And I, I get the impression that that is Unilever's you know, business purpose, is, is bringing others on in that journey. And um, I've I certainly seen some cases in, in some like press releases from PR people we get sent across where where buzzwords like brand, purpose and value are, can be perhaps thrown around a little bit yeah. without too much actual concrete stories behind them. Um, I don't think that's certainly not the case with Unity because you've got um, credentials to back it up with the Dow Jones indices, the CDPA, this, that kind of stuff. The, the proof is in the data so much. But um, how did you kind of develop this business purpose, um, not as just as a company, but as a sustainability professional yourself, how did you kind of find and develop your purpose as you were going along on this sustainability journey? Yeah, I think first of all, <clears throat> like most people, um, you should like the organisation you work for. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't still be here 30 years later mm. if I didn't like uh, you know, Unilever. If I look at uh, one of our sites in the UK, Port Sunlight, uh, okay. is really one of the, the early uh, factories and the, the early... Um, stories from Unilever because Lord Lever uh, built the the village around the factory and uh, everyone should go visit the village actually <laughs> it's a beautiful village uh, the schools were built uh, as part of the uh, the village and you know the, the the village was built for the workers so it's really a great story and yeah we talk about sustainability and the the social dimension the business dimension the environmental dimension and you know, mm. you could go back to uh, Lord Lever's time and uh, actually see that in motion and then as I've started in the late 80s Unilever were, were managing what we would call environment at that time later CSR and now sustainability if you talk about purpose you know we're an organization uh, now and I, I, I reflect as you asked the question that we, we, we have one million tons less CO2 emissions than we did in 2008 wow. yeah. uh, we uh, extract 20 billion litres less water than we did in 2008 and we produce more. Um, and then you, know, you 
you know the story of uh, the Zero Landfill. Mm. Um, so who wouldn't want to work in an yeah. organisation that is leading for that? And you know, when you get to, to do your job and it's amplified in such a good way by honestly great people in our operations, uh, yeah, it's a privilege and an honour honor to be in uh, the role I'm in. On that topic of privilege and honour, um, so, I mean, there's loads of companies that are striving to do well and are perhaps, you know, they, they're aiming to be like Unilever, and, but they might be startups, they might be early days kind of stuff, or they're just someone who might be coming off of uh, kind of degree in, in kind of this kind of area of sustainability and they have aspirations to, to come and, and work for a company like Unilever. In the, in the concept of finding their purpose, what advice would you give to, to a sustainability professional? Oh, wow, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um... I, I, I think uh, you know, keep, keeping it simple is, um, you know, first of all, understand what your purpose really is, because uh, I, I speak to people often and we have a lot of interaction with universities and indeed take a lot of people uh, uh, from universities. And um, people say they want to work in sustainability, but it's a very, very broad topic. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I, I think um, you know, the first thing I would say is, is uh, I think you know, be a bit more explicit about, about what you really want, but also you know also uh, say what you don't want. So equally important as what you want is what you don't want. Um, but I think you know within that, uh, do your homework and and do the research. Mm. And uh, that, that's the, the best advice I can say. There's so much you know with the democratization of data and information now, and what the internet brings us. Uh, there's so much information available and. You know, most companies are incredibly transparent in mm. the way they operate. You know, the world demands people uh, that organisations are transparent. So, so there's so much information available. Go, go research. Look at who really appeals to you, um, why they appeal to you, and, and follow that. And yeah, I give you a, a great quote from uh, Confucius of. of uh, Enjoy what you do, and you will never work a day in your life. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely a quote I resonate with as well. So yeah. it's good to see we're both on the same same boat there. And you, you kind of took me on a on a mini tour, I suppose, of of the offices before we started this um, chat. We you know we kind of looked out across the Thames on on the top floor, and I noticed on a beautiful day as well. Yeah, yeah, the weather <laughs> has uh, has been surprisingly kind to us, which yeah. is uh, which is good to see. And. I noticed on, on all the floors, you can't really go too far without seeing perhaps like a monitor or a poster with a kind of Unilever film and vibe to it about that kind of purpose and about what you've done to date on sustainability. And I mentioned briefly as well, you know, the CDP A-lister for, uh, is it seven years running? Um, it's, it's, it's a number of years yeah, now. Exactly. And I think uh, this year we're particularly proud because... Um, you, you saw it was a, a, an A in carbon and in water, yeah. and indeed across the agricultural uh, indices as well. And uh, it's a lot of people input uh, in, into that. And you mentioned earlier about uh, you know Unilever's credibility for other people to acknowledge the work we do because it is indeed our purpose. Mm. I kind of guess is a good check in sometimes that we're on the right path, we're doing the right things. Uh, we believe we are, and uh, we, you know, uh, we, otherwise we wouldn't be doing it. But it, it is important sometimes to reflect on that others see us as good leaders, and we you know, really want to take our responsibility in that leadership space and uh, and you know, reflect back. Actually, we are doing the right things. We need to keep on that path. We need to stay strong. So. Yeah, of course we're happy with those uh, those external uh, acknowledgements. 
Yeah, I, I think um, the fact that it was um, not not just one kind of section for for the ALIS, it puts you in the top one percent of companies globally. And and I think certainly when I think of sustainability, and I know a lot of people I talk to when they think of business and sustainability, Unilever's up there in certainly the top probably yeah, probably put one one percent of of companies in that action. And is is there a pressure of, of performing in a company that's at the top, or, or is it more not so much pressure, but more of there's there's a you know you relish that 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 pressure. Yeah, I think uh, competition pressure those things are healthy. Yeah. Really. Uh, you know, you, you could look at sport, you could look at business. Uh, you know, we we wouldn't improve if we didn't have measures in place. Uh, we wouldn't improve if there wasn't competition. And you you could. Uh, I I always like it. I'm a, a big sports fan. Mm. Um, and uh, you look at something like Formula One. And think uh, if there wasn't such fierce competition, uh, you wouldn't continually improve. And you could look at that in business, and you could look at that uh, in, in all aspects of life. So I think um, the pressure is a healthy one. Uh, the, the, the pressure uh, healthily increases. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we have uh, we set ourselves incredibly tough targets, but I, I think again um, tough targets, but not outrageous targets. Um, and uh, tough targets where we break them down in a way where it's uh, again tough but achievable and um, what gives us confidence to continually keep setting tough targets is, is our performance. Uh, in 2010 at the launch of the Sustainable Living Plan people struggled to see how we could improve by 40% mm. uh, when we had already been improving for years. Uh, but now we reflect back and we've achieved uh, the carbon, so we're 43% down on carbon. Uh, we achieved the zero landfill target and water, you know, we're getting incredibly close. Uh, it gives us confidence to go do more. Uh, and then certainly, again, you know, the world has become a, a whole lot more connected and partnerships and collaboration, I think, is you know, really in a new way of doing business. As, as we find uh, our new friends, I would say, <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and uh, openly learn from each other, and we talked about the you know, democratisation of data, I think the Internet of Things and digitalisation is, again, unlocking uh, new insights for us. So you know, we've got uh, a, a good level of confidence that we can keep going. So I think tough targets are healthy. I, I completely agree. And um, you, mentioned, you mentioned sports just a minute ago. Looking through your Twitter feed, I happen to know you're a, you're a bit of a West Ham oh, fan. No. <laughs> yeah, it um, couldn't be a tougher moment for a West Ham. Fan. Exactly, yeah, T- tough times and tough targets ahead for for them, most certainly. <laughs> um, and um, you could argue perhaps they're they're a club that's lacked from a bit of le- leadership, especially for the last uh, week or two. Um, <laughs> um, but in stark contrast, Unilever is a company that's been driven from top down leadership right from right from the very top. Um, from of course Paul Pullman. I actually um he kind of brushed past me in the in the foyer. I've almost got a bit starstruck as he kind of went off to his meetings. It was that was a uh, nice see he's hard at work today. But how you know how does having a person like um, Paul Pullman at the top just inspire the workforce? Like how, you know do you get to talk to him much? Your team interact with him much? Yeah. Well, f- first of all, it's good to, to to for you to have seen that Paul uh, is in the building. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so you know, he's he's a hard worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a, a, a great leader, and uh, again, you know, great great to work around. And uh, uh, so, yes, I do get to uh, speak to Paul and interact with Paul. And 
Paul's incredibly present, um, not just literally like today, <laughs> but, but you know, Paul walks around uh, uh, the office, Paul visits uh, the markets, he's around, you'll see him incredibly active, uh, you talked about Twitter, Paul's incredibly mm. active and a, a great leader Definitely. Uh, in, in that space and he means it and I think, you know, uh, I've been in Unilever 30 years and in business uh, that length of time, uh, authenticity is another buzzword, <laughs> you, you spoke about buzzwords and uh, you know, for me uh, he is the epitome of that and uh, you know, also our leadership around. Um, again, uh, you talked about how is it doing your day-to-day -day job, uh, it's a lot easier when we've got leaders who believe in our purpose, who lead for what I believe to be the right way of doing business. So I think you know, Paul and the other leaders that we've got within our organisation, you know, also a call out to them and you know, leadership is of course uh, the head of that but also mm. those uh, around there and you know, we've got great leadership in abundance. But obviously, that those they're, they're leaders, not for just wanting to drive sustainable growth. But I think they they're, they're still you can't just go up to them and say with a project and say this is sustainable. Let's <laughs> let's go out and do it. You've still got to have that that business case. So how 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 do you personally you know what's essential for you in a business case for a, for a project or initiative that you want to roll out? Yeah, it's interesting you ask that because I, I now notice within uh, what we've spoke about so far. I didn't talk about. Cost benefit, mm. uh, and uh, so, so so now it comes. If you look at our uh, recent annual report, you'll see uh, uh, the figure in there of since we've been running this manufacturing sustainability program, the cost benefits are more than seven hundred million euros. Oh wow! Uh, which is you know really an incredible figure. And mm. uh, you know, I spoke about the other elements, which uh, I guess in terms of purpose. You know the social dimension and uh, enhancing livelihoods. Uh, you know, we we come to work each day and you can choose what you want to be. And uh, why wouldn't you choose to be good? Why wouldn't you choose to do good? Mm. But there is a business element, and of course there's there's a harder element of uh, what we do need to make need, needs to make good business sense. And uh, you know that that figure I think uh, you know is, is publicly available. Uh, maybe we should talk about it a bit more sometimes. <laughs> Uh, but it's a real figure, and uh, you know the case uh, for sustainability is um, is really there for all to see. And, and interestingly, again, the word sustainability in business um, for me sometimes should be a bit better understood because people uh, really are talking about environment sometimes. Yeah. Uh, when when you look at the three corners of sustainability, uh, cost and economic benefit is one of them. Mm. Uh, just as uh, the social dimension and just as environment. And as business leaders, we need to acknowledge that uh, when we take a decision, when we uh, when we take upon an, an initiative, um, we of course there should be a, a good uh, cost benefit, and that's the great thing for us. Very simply put, if you reduce your water, if you reduce your waste, if you reduce your energy, you save money. Uh, if you do that mm. at home, if you reduce your energy at home. Uh, your the bill that comes into you on a monthly or quarterly basis is less, and that's no different in a business. Reduce your energy, you will save money. Uh, you know, that's that's a hard fact. <laughs> no, definitely. And you said um, you've been here for thirty years, and I think certainly the last few years, at a global level, the probably more so climate change than than the whole CSR initiative has really has really grown as, as Paris Agreement and SDGs have come to come to place. But I suppose internally, as, as Unilever's own sustainability plans have grown, how has that business case, um, has that business case evolved or is it always um, hinged on certain core pillars? 
it's, it, the education and awareness around um, our energy reduction linking that to climate change probably drives people more, I would say. Mm. We, we've driven um, uh, uh, energy reduction very much upon a cost and CO2 in the past, but probably one of the greatest things that came with the Sustainable Development Goals uh, was uh, within SDG 13, of course, uh, mm. climate action, and also SDG 7, uh, the clean and affordable energy, uh, to be able to link that, we very much link our sustainability goals to the SDGs. Um, I, you know, again, you spoke about purpose, to be able to link what we do in terms of energy reduction to a sustainable development goal, uh, for sure can do no harm to talk about <laughs> Definitely. purpose. Uh, so, so, yeah, we, we, we've, I didn't talk about our energy reduction, but I don't know, maybe I did, but anyway, we're you know, a quarter down on, on energy, which of course has a direct correlation to the CO2 reduction but yeah. also the cost reduction but again to link that to the mitigation of, uh, of climate change uh, yeah, who wouldn't want to be a part of that. Okay um, so before we start this chat I, I handed you a um, I wouldn't call it an early Christmas present at all but um, it's it's our AD's own state of sustainability in, in manufacturing report um, for those listening to can't see it is printed double side just in case you are wondering we're not trying to waste too much paper in that sense and so tony essentially um we we examined we we interviewed people in the manufacturing industry about their kind of challenges and and opportunities and i imagine um Unilever is a company that always tries to catch the opportunities, so it's probably a good chance to talk about a few there. So this report here, which I've just given you, it's got a few challenges such as um, global megatrends of population growth. It's got, you know, commodity prices um, and opportunities, I suppose. I mean, some of them are similar. Globalisation is a megatrend. It's a challenge and an opportunity. So are there any kind of areas in manufacturing you see right now which you personally like to focus on? I think this is a real opportunity for sustainable growth. Again, everyone's, I mentioned earlier, everyone's talking about uh, Internet of Things, mm. digitalization, um, and you know, we're beginning to see some traction on, on what people are doing there also. Uh, one of the big uh, things for us, which, uh, you know, come back to cost again, which drives down cost is within our factories, we've now got more than 130 factories with, um, with many, many meters. We've actually got tens of thousands of meters huh. uh, pulsing back information about water consumption, about gas, steam, electricity consumption. And uh, when you start to roll that up, that data, that we, we, we change that data into information, yeah. uh, study and analyze that information, which gives us insights. And we take those insights, turn them into an action, take that action and of course then review the data again uh, and in principle this should be driving performance. So I think that Internet of Things digitalization is really helping us, you know, it will help us drive to another level in mm. terms of performance. That's one element. And um, the other one for me is really about people and partnerships. Okay. And that's both internal and external. So yeah, we Unilever has more than 160,000 employees and to, to, to make, fit, make people feel part of everything we do is really essential. And what, you know, one, one of the things we've led for for some time now is not to underestimate small actions because when you get 160,000 people taking a small action, that makes a big difference in the end, whether it's switching off a light, mm. 
uh, whether it's being more, more energy efficiency in the way we produce um, or it's saving water somewhere. The, the collective action uh, that, that, that delivers you know, is, is immense. And then I think when we look externally, what does the amplification look hmm. like when we, when, we, uh, when we group together with others uh, in whatever way we can? So I think um, you know, the mega trend of, of uh, partnerships, of collaboration, but, but also I wouldn't want to, and yeah, I see one of them is about globalization. And hmm. I think uh, who says globalization isn't a great thing because when you network your, your, um, your 160,000 people together, when you uh, surface the great things that have happened and you get that best practice sharing mm-hmm. uh, going, you know, can you imagine that within that group of people, there were people working somewhere on the same thing and it's a shame if people are working on the same thing and don't share it. Mm. Uh, and so, so you know, through networking, through platforms uh, of sharing that information, we really begin to unlock the value of... Uh, so, so, of course... You know these 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 big trends and uh, the big globalization you speak about. You there are challenges for sure, um, but also uh, the on the to counter those. Uh, as you've rightly highlighted, you know, with every challenge comes an opportunity, and uh, that's where we need to place our focus. And uh, yeah, we we acknowledge both the challenges, but also uh, are excited by the opportunities. And it sounds like um, certainly the the data aspect of it, and I suppose the that community aspect of, of engaging with your staff that that centers a lot on behavior change not just i suppose try not just the messaging to to staff to, to turn off the light like you mentioned but also mm. are are your staff now having to view data not as a load of numbers but as as a potential story as a potential action as a potential solution yeah it's a great point actually and um and what 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 you you talk about behavior change there and uh when and, and also you talked about Twitter earlier. If I combine many of those things together in a, in this kind of global way, um, what we lead for sometimes in social media is followers. I see how many followers we have and uh, so on. And I think in business, uh, what we it's great to have followers, but actually you want champions, and that's where you really get the amplification effect. And uh, also, business needs champions uh, because it's great to have followers, but you mm. don't need lots of people admiring a problem. <laughs> uh, what you actually want is uh, lots of people tackling a problem and uh, and uh, partnering to, to tackle a problem. And I think you know humanity has has proved that uh, time after time when you get groups of people together uh, working on a challenge with a, a common similar purpose, uh, that's that's where you you begin to shift and uh, transform. Uh, I, I think uh, society. Uh, uh, Business, um, so uh, they're the things I would pick together there. But you're right; um, it, it's you know, behaviour change only comes if you involve people, you make them feel part of it, and uh, and uh, you, you allow them. Uh, I, I think also to be able to lead. So I would say, you know, we we, we want to find leaders, mm. uh, and uh, great to have followers, but you know. Lots of a pe- lots of people admiring a problem. I'm not sure how far that gets us. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I suppose on that topic of followers and leaders, um, we've been covering um, the climate conference in, in Bonn that's going on at the moment. And one of the stories I noted was the World Business Council of Sustainable Development. So essentially, 200 you know CEOs of, of businesses kind of gave the delegates there their their list of policy wishes. Um, one of them, well, not even policy wishes, but market wishes. So one of them was. You know carbon prices and that strikes me as a great example of business collaboration 
having like a unified voice to try and deliver change. Are you finding more so now than perhaps um, a decade or so ago? A lot of your a lot of your interactions are, are with other companies rather than with just other areas of this business. Yeah, well, first of all, we're lucky with Paul Coleman's position when you talk <laughs> about the, uh, the World Business Council and mm. uh, even uh, when you talk about COP23 and, uh, uh, of, of course, uh, Jeff Seaver, our uh, Chief, Sustainability, mm. uh, Chief Sustainability Officer, who uh, yeah, is, a, is a great uh, advocate for us in that space. But uh, for, for, for sure, um, the one of the great things about uh, the business community at the moment, it really is becoming much more uh, of a community in... in all of the positive senses so you know, we, we know that there are very very big challenges uh, facing uh, society humanity and uh, business has such an important place uh, to play and you know we're thankful for groups like the consumer goods forum and uh, the world resources institute who really bring people together and even you know, we're, we're members of the at a c100 uh, you know coming mm. out of the Ellen MacArthur foundation and it's fantastic uh, being in and around our leaders who are uh, passionate and leading for the same thing and uh, just like we're members of the RE100 campaign and recently the EV100, the uh, uh, okay, electric yeah. vehicle campaign and uh, one of the early uh, adopters of the EV100 and uh, of course we hope, we would like to think that many are going to adopt uh, uh, you know, the, the, a commitment on mm. that as well. So I think uh, the, the, those incredibly successful campaigns, and again, this is where social media and uh, the news really has its uh, part to play to pick up on those positives of businesses coming together. Mm. I think the world needs uh, more positive stories at the moment, and that's why I, you know, ch ch choose my uh, my channels to look at because uh, unfortunately, you could probably look at the nine or the ten o'clock news uh, at home sometimes and. Uh, on one side, feel a little low about the, the news that comes out. You know the terrible challenges uh, we face, but equally, you can choose channels to look at all of the great things that happen, and, and you can choose a mindset. You know, you can say, "Wow, the world's never been so turbulent," or you could say, "We've never had it so lucky uh, that medical breakthroughs give us things that uh, we could never imagine. Mm. That our parents didn't have the luxury of that. More people." have been lifted out of poverty and we see a path for more. So I know in some ways I would say we've never had it so good, but lots and lots to do still. So you know, business keep coming together, reporters keep talking about the positive stories and uh, everybody, you know, please be part of it. And is there is there any particular like skill or I suppose aspect of being a, a kind of professional in regards to sustainability, CSR, that kind of area, that you think perhaps hasn't been an essential asset in the past, but now as the agenda globally evolves, do you think actually having that ability will become more prominent? Um, well, for, for me, I think they've always been essential assets. Yeah. Maybe some people acknowledge it more than others. Mm. I, I think it's about being cognizant about what's important. You know, people are so, so important. Uh, if we can't engage and inspire people to want to... Uh, to do good and to, to want to improve not just themselves but also uh, business performance uh, then then if we can't acknowledge how important that is then we, we really have a problem if we can't acknowledge that we don't know all of the answers we don't have all of the answers and we simply cannot do it alone then again we have a problem maybe we're as I say more cognizant of that than we've been in the past and that's that's great um, but 
for me, that hasn't really changed. Uh, it's just our ability to recognise that, and the sooner we do, uh, the, 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 the better. And I, I guess I'd add one more point to that as well. Mm. Is, uh, there's, there's such a fear of failure, and uh, we come together, and uh, what if it doesn't work? You know, you, you, there's so many great readings now that um, you know, we say if you, you, you can read uh, the comments around, if you're going to fail, fail fast. Uh, but then pick yourself up and start again. And I would say the entrepreneurial spirit has never been so vibrant. And you see so many startups and so many successes now, like never before. Mm. Uh, that I think that you know maybe that's the, uh, the probably the thing that's really come to the fore at the moment. This entrepreneurial spirit, this uh, this startup spirit, and never more successful. I'm sure. So probably another thing I would point to. Oh, that was really kind of uplifting uh, <laughs> examination of, I suppose, the near future sustainability, which is uh, really good to hear. And um, we're almost at the end of this episode, but um, I think uh, it's always nice to finish these these episodes on just, I suppose, looking ahead. We're almost, you know, at the end of the year. I realise there's probably a lot of information that you can't share right now, but is, is there anything coming up on the horizon or any kind of goals that are in place um, that you're targeting right now that particularly excite you that you're looking forward to really kind of getting your teeth stuck into? Yeah, I think um, yeah, we, we mentioned the carbon positive ambition earlier. Mm. That, um, yeah, I, I can be excited every day about working on that, and uh, you know, to get factories and to get operations to carbon neutral and then go beyond mm. uh, is great. And everybody gets excited uh, about that. So I think that's you know, if, if you say what gets you out of bed in the morning to to do something good in the. Uh, you know, it's called SDG 13 space, I think uh, is exciting. And uh, yeah, continually, when we look, um, I mentioned the C100 earlier, when mm. we look in the circular space, there were so many wonderful examples, uh, you know, which, and I think not, not, not only in Unilever, but outside of uh, uh, Unilever, uh, it just excites me to see what's happening and it, I recently had an incredible privilege to be part of the Enectus World Cup yeah. uh, which uh, is an organisation uh, Unilever sports very deeply and personally I've had the privilege to get uh, involved in this year. I, I, uh, to be a judge and to, to uh, be around the next level of entrepreneurs within that is in London uh, this year was one of the highlights of my year. Okay. For sure, it was something amazing. I just, if I if I think of all of the challenges the world faces right now, I can um, probably rest a little easier to know that the next generation of students and millennials and uh, even the generation coming behind, I think they've got our back. Um, and I was incredibly inspired by uh, what I saw on that Nexus World Cup, and you know, it was fantastic to be a judge on that. Okay, and uh, yeah, that's a really. Uh, key point I suppose you bring up is, is that next generation because a lot of um, a lot of goals are in place certainly globally but also a lot of goals that you need to have in place by the time they come to being finalised or that time frame shuts it will be the next generation of, of leaders that may be the ones kind of steering steering that ship it's great they come up this and I suppose that's where you know we mentioned collaboration between big businesses collaboration between businesses startups and these kind of academics is just as crucial to giving them a pathway into into these solutions yeah, totally. And I mentioned earlier, we've got a, a lot of collaborations around the world, actually, with uh, universities and with organisations such as Anectus. We've uh, we've had those collaborations uh, for years. It's stronger than ever, mm. I would say, at the moment. And 
and great that you're also recognising the importance of the next generations coming through and uh, let's hope they're not too annoyed of, uh, with the generations that, that, that maybe <laughs> might have done a little bit better but you know, uh, uh, t together uh, everyone achieves more uh, for sure and uh, I think uh, you know, when, when my job is done and uh, when other people's job is done and we're certainly nowhere near the end of that uh, we still need people to pick up that baton, this is a relay um, it's a, a journey, it's a, certainly not a short race. Okay, brilliant. Um, well, yeah, our, our, our last episode, we actually finished recording, just finished with me talking about essentially waste collecting crows, a very kind of random innovation that's happening out in, in uh, Holland right now. So it's nice to see that uh, this one can finish with a, you know, a, a, a viable solution, which is, you know, given, given the next generation a chance and a, and a way through, which is great to see. And obviously inspiration from Unilever is always welcome on these podcasts. So Tony, thank you very much for um, inviting me on today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Okay, my, my pleasure too, thanks. And um, for those listening right now, again, just a reminder that these podcasts are available from iTunes and can also be listened to via the ED website. But for now, this is Matt Mace signing off from the Green Room. Goodbye. <laughs>